guys were singing loud. I like that. Way to go. Blake, man, I love following after you lead. That's a real gift to me. There was a, a man who lived in Chicago. It was really, really cold in Chicago at the time. So he decided to make a short trip with his wife down to Florida. And his wife was, had to, happened to be gone on a business trip. So he went ahead and flew down to Florida. And as he got there, he decided to give an update to his wife about how things were going. So he typed an email. Problem is, he got one letter wrong in the email. And it went to a lady, an elderly lady, who, had, who was married to a pastor who had just passed away the day before. And when she opened up her email on her computer, she read the email and she screamed. And then she proceeded to faint. The family happened to be home and they ran. And the lady was there lying on the floor, completely unconscious. And they read the email. And the email said this, Dearest wife, just checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) P.S. It's hot down here. (laughs) Oh, Oh boy, there's no easy way to say this. There is a harsh reality this morning that all of us are one breath away from stepping into eternity. There's just no easy way to slip into that right there. That we are all one breath away from stepping into eternity. And here's the cool thing is that God has prepared an incredible place for us. Go read this week. Homework for the week. John chapter 14, begin in verse 1. Now you'll recognize that passage. And then you get to verse 6 and you realize that the pathway to this place that God has prepared for us is quite unique and quite narrow. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life. And wide does that lead to destruction, right? But it's really, 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 really narrow, y'all. And this is the reality, which is a grace gift to us. There is one way. We don't have to wonder the way to this place that God has prepared for us, this place called heaven. Jesus said, I am the way in verse 6 of John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so so a quick question, a few, few questions. Are we ready for our last breath on earth? I read that passage a few uh, Saturdays ago, one of our own, Linda Overbay, went home to be with the Lord. And this was my encouragement to the people there. Are we ready? I asked them the same question. Are we ready for our last breath? And it's an encouragement for me to say for her, she was ready. She was ready. Uh, I was there the week before. She went home to be with the Lord, and she whispered with the, all the breath that she had in my ear. She said, I'm ready to go home. I love that. Listen, we can be ready. And if you're not ready today, listen, that, that should be priority number one. Before you go away, come and find me. And let's make sure that you are ready to breathe your last breath on earth. But there's a question, a secondary question that is equally as important. It is this. Are we helping other people to be ready? Are we helping other people to be ready for their last breath on earth. That is the point of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And that is the point of all the so-called apocryphal literature within Scripture, all of the Old Testament and New Testament combined. As you put those together, God put those in there to make sure that we are ready and that we are faithful to help as many people to be ready as possible. It's not our job to figure out when that's going to happen, but we do have a responsibility to make sure that we're ready and we help other people to be ready. We've been making a journey together through the book of Colossians. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 4? 
That's where we pick up today. We pick up in verse 2 of chapter 4. And the big theme that we've been talking about, that, that Paul is, is reminding and teaching the church of Colossae, this new church that Paul is writing to from Rome. He is in prison writing to them. He's encouraging them to realize that, that Christ is supreme. And when we realize that Christ is supreme, that is the gateway when we make him supreme in our life to having the fullness that God has designed for all of us. God wants you to have a full life. Did you know that? If you're new today, as many of you are visiting today for the first time, did you know that God has a great plan for you? He wants you to have a full life, abundant life, full of hope, full of joy, full of life. In order to, to, to access that, it is through Christ, and through Christ we experience, because he is supreme, fullness in him. And then we get to this progression. When we realize and really believe that Christ is supreme, that leads to some practical things in our life. It leads to putting off the old and putting on the new. And last week we talked about it leads to, to a change the way that we relate to the world and especially the way we relate in our homes. And so we said last week it affects, Christ, it affects our home life. And so last week the title was Christ at home. I encourage you, last week was a tough passage. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's really, really important that we understand that passage in the context of the book of Colossians. That's kind of what we tried to do last week. I, I trust that God through his spirit spoke to us and, and gave us the truth that we needed to hear last week. Christ is supreme. He's supreme in our home. I could have titled, but I didn't, but I could have titled the passage, to the, the sermon today, Christ in the world, or Christ made known. These few verses we're going to cover today are words of sending. They are words of mobilization. And the idea today is that if Christ is supreme, it will affect the way we relate. It will affect the way we relate in our home, but it will greatly affect and impact the way we relate to the world. And there is a mission. There is a, a calling, there is a, a mobilization, but there is a problem that we all deal with today. We live in what is often called a post-Christian culture or post-Christendom, some people say. What does that mean? It means that, that church and Jesus is a fine option for some, but for the most part these days, we just have to be honest with ourselves, for the most part these days, Jesus and church is not even on the radar for most people. Now, you're here, so it is for you. So Congrats, and, and that's amazing. It's an incredible first step to experience the fullness that Christ has for you. But for most people, that is not the case. Uh, pastor Larry York, who retired, he's the, he was the pastor and first pastor of our sending church, Crossroads Baptist Church in the Woodlands. He would always tell me when he, when he came to Crossroads, would be about 30 years ago when he came to the Woodlands, 80% of the people in the Woodlands went to church, 80%. So that would affect, I think that would probably reflect Montgomery in this area too, 80% 30 years ago. In this area, this area, 80% uh, ha- had some affinity or, or connection to a church. And just about four years ago, we were having an honest conversation, honest conversation, and he said, well, really, it's not even 20% today. And I think if you did a study, I think the demographics would show that over and over. Did you realize if you add up all the, all the people that are going to be in church today, and you are here, we've got a great number of people, we'll have a, more people in the second service, we always do, and there'll be 400, 450, 500 on campus, which is crazy. God's been so good to us. Uh, but if we add up all of the churches, all of them, 
it would only be about 10 to 15% of our representation of our community. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And so we come to that reality. My wife was telling me last night, so I've told you guys that, that we have chickens, right? If you're new today, and then we have chickens. Don't tell anybody because I'm not sure if we're supposed to in my neighborhood. So some of you live in my neighborhood. Don't go, don't go tattletelling. We have chickens. And we got like 20 of them. And about six months ago or so, we got six new chickens. It, it's chicken math, y'all. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of that. But when you get chickens, like it, it just, the numbers just go crazy. We got uh, one given to us, which turned out to be Henry the rooster. Henry's gone, y'all. I told y'all about that about a month ago. Henry's no longer there. But because of him, we ended up going to uh, one of the hardware stores and picking up five more. So we ended up with six. So we got 20 chickens. So we got 14 chickens, and we got six new chickens. And when they got big enough to start going in the big coop, our big coop has an automatic door that goes up and down. Yeah, isn't that fancy? We're, we're, we're highfalutin over there. We've got a highfalutin chicken coop. And it would go, when it gets dark, like 15 minutes after it gets dark, a light comes on and the, and the door, the door is the invite to come in. A few minutes later, the door closes. And so they're supposed to go in. All of, them, all of them always did. Not a problem. Until we got these new ones. These new ones, like, won't go in. You have to go every night, pretty much every night, to go out and pick up a chicken and put them in. Isn't that crazy that we do that, y'all? All for eggs. All for eggs. And we do this every night. Well, last night, Jennifer, my wife, was telling me, um, she, um, she found out about a month ago why they don't go in. And so why they don't go in is there's just one chicken that will sit at the door while these new ones are always the last ones because there's a pecking order. This is what, this, that's where that term comes from. Pecking order, there's like, you know, alpha female and then all the, there's a pecking order. And so literally there is a chicken that when they try to come in, there's a chicken that just pecks them. And just won't let them come in. She will stand at the door, and when they try to come in, this chicken, this mean chicken, will peck them. This is the alpha female, right? And she will peck them, and they can't come in. And so we, every night, we have to go get these chickens who are still young for chickens, and we have to literally push that chicken out of the way and, and, and put these chickens in the chicken coop. The safe place, right? The reason why we need a coop, we need them in there, and we put them in there is because we have, we have things that get chickens, like, we have, we've had major coon issues. We've had, we have foxes. We have all these things that they love chicken just like we do, right? I mean, I like chicken too. And they'll get them if they don't get in there. So we put them in and put them in and put them in. So Jennifer went out there last night and she saw with her own eyes, she was going to put them out there. They were, they were roosting outside these six younger chickens. And one of them was about to walk in, just kind of finally getting the idea. I'm going to go in, I'm going to try it. And this alpha female chicken came out and went down the walkway to that chicken coop and just pecked that chicken that was coming up and ran back in, and the chicken went the other way. They're mean, y'all. Chickens are mean. They're so mean. Here's what I thought as Jennifer was telling me that story last night. I just saw a picture. I don't often get like these last-minute stories for you guys, but this is a picture for what I want to say today. That alpha female. That's the enemy. That's Satan, the enemy. And he is guarding the gate. (laughs) He's not in the gate like that chicken. He is guarding the gate. He doesn't want anybody getting to the safe place. And so he is literally attacking us. He's pecking. He does not want people. Those those 80 some percent of people who aren't in church today, man, he has, he has victory. And he's like that that mean chicken and so much worse, y'all. And here's the picture. Where are we in this story? 
God is sovereign over the whole thing, all right? And he has created a safe place. He's created this place for us to go through Christ, right? And he is the gateway. He is the narrow way. He is the road. He is the way. And so where are we? We are like those people who grab those people and we take them and we show them the door. We are those, like people need someone in their life to point them and take them to that place that God has for them. It doesn't happen. God in his sovereignty, God in his wisdom, he has chosen us. He has chosen me to be the the image bearers, the missionaries, the ambassadors, and we could keep going, ministers. We are the ones, you are the ones, I am the ones. We are ministers, and our joy and responsibility is since we have experienced Christ supreme in our life, since we have, since we have, we have the joy to show and kind of to help people to enter that safe place, that joyous place that God has for us. But the place that we do it, the world that God has placed us to do it in, man, it has changed so, hasn't it? Culture has changed so much. There's a couple of guys named Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. They wrote a, a book called Everyday Church. They said this, if we could place people on a range of one to 10, depending on their interest in the gospel, where one is no, no interest and 10 is a decision to follow Jesus, lots of evangelism assumes people are around eight on the scale. So follow the conversation. He says, we teach our gospel outlines. We teach answers to apologetic questions. We hold guest services. We put on evangelistic courses. We preach in the open air or knock on doors. All of these are great things to do, but 70% of the population is at a one or two. Maybe it's even more than that these days. This book was written several years ago. Maybe it's even that they're, we can't assume that they're at the gateway. There's another guy named Rico, Rico Tice. He wrote a book called Honest Evangelism. He says this, people used to generally understand the gospel so that when Billy Graham came to town, they were ready to be invited and to respond. But then, they, then things changed. People began to hold beliefs or objections that had, had to be dealt with before they could respond to the gospel. Some of the beliefs are, and he just gives a list, Christians are weird, Christianity is untrue, Christianity is irrelevant, Christianity is intolerant. So you had to work to deal with three, with, with these objections and build their trust. Now things have changed even more. Our culture is defined by tolerance and permissiveness. Man, isn't it so? People don't engage with faith. They simply dismiss it. Jesus simply isn't on the agenda. He isn't even an option to be considered. And people don't think about why they disagree with Christianity. They just think it's fine for you and not for them. As a result, evangelism takes time and effort. It's rare to see a person become a Christian very quickly. I'm finding this more and more to be, more and more to be the case. He says things have changed. And in some ways, our evangelism, our strategy for mission has to change as well. In fact, our evangelism strategy has to be much like the strategy or approach that of the, that of the first century church. If you rewind from, from our culture and, and put it right next to the culture in the first century, the first century church was, was immersed and planted in a pagan reality where people were not seeking God. 
They did not believe in the God that we are going to be reading about today. They were so far from it. And so it maybe, maybe just maybe we would be wise to go to Scripture and say, hey, how did they do it in the first century? Because it seems that God planted them in that kind of culture and they changed the world. God moved in incredible ways. And I love that because as bad as it, it is and as bad as as post-Christian as, let's just say, America gets, there will always be hope. There will always be hope because the first century did it. Well, how do they do that? Well, let's read in Colossians chapter 4, beginning verse 2, as we answer the question, and here is the title of my message, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to accomplish our mission And our mission at Hope is simply to multiply that, to multiply hope by multiplying disciples and multiplying churches. It is we are embracing the the one mission that every church has to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And so we are are urgent about that mission. And so what does that mission look like? It looks like people receiving Jesus— In order to receive, they have to hear about Jesus. They receive Jesus, and then they learn in our context what it means to follow him, what it means to walk with Jesus. So how how did they do this? Well, Paul gave them some instruction of how. How how are they going to do that? What's it going to take to accomplish the mission of the church? Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. Literally, he is in prison because he's been proclaiming Christ. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so through these verses, I think Paul gives a really clear summation. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if the best word is a a strategy, because I think when we think of strategy, there's a lot of great strategies for evangelism. I grew up with with some of those. Some of you guys grew up. What's what's some strategies of sharing the gospel? Just name some. Just curious if you guys can can remember any of them. Just name a few. Some of you guys. Just what's some what's some of the ways that we have learned to share the gospel? Just what is it? Yeah, yeah. E E evangelism explosion. Yeah, that was real popular years ago. What's some others? Just curious. Yeah, four spiritual laws. That's one. The Roman road. That's the one that I learned growing up. Nowadays, we have what's called the three circles. Like, there's lots of ways, and those are all good. I'm not sure if this is a way, but it is an effective pathway to be missionaries. And I think you'll see it really clearly. So what's it going to take? And these are not really in order. I think it's all three, although they seem to have some order here. If you did them in order, I think that'd be really healthy. But, but I think they're all three coming together. So what's it going to take? The first thing we see in verses 2 and 3 is going to take supplication. So go ahead and write that in the blank. Grab your notes, write that in the blank. Supplication. If you don't know how to spell it, I think it's spelled properly right there. Indeed it is. Uh, Supplication. So what is that? What is supplication? Supplication in the Latin, it comes from the Latin supplicare, which means to plead 
humbly. And I like that. And that's the idea of prayer. Paul says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. But the word supplication to me has a, has a little deeper, it has that urgency behind it. It's an urgent prayer. It's an urgent ask. In Webster's Dictionary, it says supplication is to make a humble appeal. And so we have to, if we're going to be effective in making a difference in the darkness, being light in the darkness, then we have to be about supplication, urgent in prayer. Why is that? Why is that? You see, when we pray, who are we talking to? Talking to God, we're talking to Jesus, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're spending time with our maker. We're spending time with him, talking to him. And so as we do, we're talking to him, we're praying, we're spending time in his word. What happens? Naturally, the one we're spending time with will rub off on us. And and then people are drawn to Christ through us because they see Christ in us. Did Did you see what happened there? It reminds me of my papa. My papa passed away when I was eight years old. My papa was a farmer. He was a farmer in deep, deep East Texas. Probably you'd call Southeast Texas, north of Beaumont, right on the border. We used to swim across the Sabine River to get to Louisiana, that close to the border. But he, he, was a, he was a farmer. Some people would say he was a man's man. He wore overalls. He was a big man. He had a, a belly that went out like this, you know. And he hardly ever wore a shirt. He just had overalls. And he was, so he was just like... He, he was, some people would say, like, man, he's just, that, that's a man. Like, when they picture a man, that's a man. But I remember spending time, I got lots of stories with my papa. In the short time that I knew him, I have a whole lot of stories. He was quite the character. But I remember outside of my granny's house, granny's house I remember him sitting there, and we're just talking, shooting the breeze with all the cousins. My papa's sitting there, and papa would take out his little pouch, his little metal pouch thing. I don't even know what to call it, a tin pouch, tin can, I guess. And he would open that up, and it has some paper in it, and he would take that, and he'd put some tobacco in it, and he'd roll it, you know, lick that paper, and he'd roll it up, and he would, he would uh, smoke that cigarette. Or uh, if he wasn't doing that, he, he always had either a cigarette in his mouth or a pipe in his mouth, and so he'd be smoking that pipe, or a cigar. I don't think I ever saw him without one of those three. And the funny thing about it growing up, I remember like the cigarette to me doesn't smell great. Pipe sometimes, that smells pretty good to me. I don't know why. A cigar depends on the kind of cigar. But it doesn't matter what the smell was. My papa, whatever he, what he was smoking, when I went home, what did I smell like? Whatever he was smoking, I smelled like my papa. Because he all the time smelled like that. I smelled like my papa. You see, that's what prayer does. We're spending time with our maker, and our maker rubs off on us, and people are drawn to Christ through us because, because they see Christ in us. It kind of reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Thanks be to God, who is in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are a fragrance from death to death. Those are the ones who aren't in Christ, who put their faith in Christ. And so it reminds them that, hey, if they're the breather to last, there is a reality. There is this place that, they, that they're destined to go. But to the other, a fragrance of life to life. Those who are in Christ, it's an encouragement. When they, when they smell that fragrance, like, ah, yes, my place is ready for me. Christ has made that place 
ready. Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one can come to, to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And so there's just this reality of there, that, that prayer is not an option. That prayer for us when it comes to mission and evangelism, prayer is a necessity. It's a necessity. N.T. Wright says, what opens the door again and again is prayer. So we have this role that we are the ones to take, to take these and to show them the way, right? To, to, to usher them into the, the reality so they can experience Jesus the way, the, the gateway, the door. But we are kidding ourselves if we think we can do that without prayer. We are kidding ourselves, and Satan has won. We are a worldly, we are a, 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 a finite people that, that, that need, we need a supernatural enablement. We need a supernatural strengthening and equipping, and we access that not on our own means. We access that by talking to God. It's someone has said, uh, we need to talk to God before we talk to others. Like that's the, I don't know if you've heard that before. That is, that is what Paul is saying. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So it's not just pray. It's continue steadfastly. Keep praying. Why? Because Paul was waging war against a spiritual reality in that day where there is resistance against the gospel. If we were to be honest today, that is the culture that we, that we are sent out to. There is a strong resistance against the gospel. So what do we have to do? We have to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, be, being very wise, and being, being discerning about what's going on in the culture today and what God is doing around us, and being grateful, being thankful, because we know that God is with us. He doesn't send us in, into places that he isn't already. He doesn't send us to do things that he's not going to help us and enable us and strengthen us and give us what we need to accomplish. One of the things I love about this command, and that is a command, continue steadfastly in prayer, is that it's so accessible. Listen, anybody and everybody can do this. And I think that's the, that was such an encouragement for the, to the Colossian church because these are brand new Christians, this is a, a fairly new church, but for us, it's like for a lot of us, we grew up in church and we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. For these people, like they really had recently heard about Jesus for the first time. They don't have the longevity that many of us have in this room. And so, so when, he, when, when Paul said, hey, pray, they would have responded like, I can do that. I mean, I can talk to God. I know he listens, so I can talk to him. I, I can talk to him. I can, I can actually help Paul. And he go goes on the scene, pray for us. Pray that God would give us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of while I'm in prison. So, so we can be a part of, uh, of what God is doing through us, but we can also be a part of missionaries. That's what Paul was. He was a church planting missionary. We can help others. We can be praying right now for our church planting partnerships. Well, who are those? Well, let me give them to you. If you didn't know, we're, we're right now currently partnering officially with four church planters, if I can remember them all. One is Aaron Orr planting in Conroe right down the, right down the road. So Aaron Orr, if you're taking notes, just go and write his name, Aaron Orr. You can pray this week. You can be a part of the gospel work by praying for Aaron Orr here in Conroe, Texas. We're also partnering, partnering with Teddy Sorrells. He is in Gladewater, Texas. Andy, our discipleship pastor, preached here uh, last Sunday. I think it was last Sunday. And uh, we are partnering with a guy named Hector Ahumada. 
you guys met uh, a couple of months ago. He preached for us. You guys uh, met his family. They've got uh, four kids. They had two sets of twins in three years, y'all. They've been married for one year. They had some twins. Married another, one year later, they had more twins. That's crazy. That's just nuts. Y'all, we got to pray for them. They're in Tyler, Texas, planting a bilingual church in, in Tyler, Texas. We, we are partnering also with Doug Hickson, who their church officially launches in Longmont, Colorado, the first Sunday of October. They've been working a process for over a year. Listen, we can, we can be urgent about the gospel by, by praying for ourselves and our readiness and for the people in our neighborhoods, but we need to be engaged about praying for those also who are on front lines in other, other places. This is essential. Prayer is essential in this process. But as we move on to verse 5, we learn that it's going to take showing Christ. It's going to take showing Christ. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Our time is short, y'all. It's short. Listen, it's just a blip in the timeline of the world. God gives us the grace gift of the time that we have on earth, and it's short. So he says, hey, hey, it's going to take prayer, but it's going to take showing Christ. Last week, one of the things that we talked about is, a, is an urgency that if we are putting off the old and putting on the new, that we are to be intentional parents, intentionally parenting our kids in the ways of the Lord. We are intentional to intentionally parent, but here we are to intentionally proclaim Christ in our life. Not only to pray, but, but do things in our life that we walk this out, walk out this supremacy of Christ in our life on a day-to-day basis, because that's important. There, there's, there's a reality that, that we have to display. We have to display the, the supremacy of Christ in our life. So he says walk, and that literally means live it out day by day. Live out that Christ is Lord, that Christ is master of your life. He tells us that our life should be a compelling demonstration of the gospel. Yes, we're going into a hostile environment. Yes, there is antagonism about Christ and the gospel in the world that God has planted us. So go out and be normal people where Christ is supreme. Live that out in your life everyday life with gospel intentionality. There's a guy that wrote a book called Saturate. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt. He said this, what this could look like for us. It must involve everyday life. We need to see that life is the program because people need to see what it means to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. We, speaking for him and his church, we realized we needed to help our people to see that life has a normal rhythm. We're just normal people, y'all. We're just people. All people everywhere are engaged in things that happen in rhythm day in and day out. When we engage in these everyday rhythms with Jesus-centered, spirit-led direction, mission can happen anytime and everywhere, and anybody can be a part of that. I love that, y'all. Did y'all hear that? This is so good. This is exactly what Paul is saying. He says, walk in wisdom. Live this out in your daily life. Every believer should be walking this out in your everyday life. He says, when we engage in these everyday rhythms with Jesus-centered, spirit-led direction, mission can happen anytime and everywhere, and anybody can be a part of it. We need it, he goes on, to train people how to live everyday life with gospel intentionality, showing what it looks like to follow Jesus in the normal stuff. So we ask ourselves, what are the everyday rhythms of life that everybody engages in everywhere? How can we engage? and what is already going on. And I love this. Listen to the statement. And how does our submission to Jesus change how we do it? 
That word should resonate if you were here last week. We talked about that word submission, and we dealt with that passage that wives should submit to their husbands. So go back and listen to that. Listen, you've got to have that in context. You've got to put in, that con- in the context of what God is saying through us in the book of Colossians. But we said the definition of, of, of submission is a voluntary trust. And I like that because that should resonate. How does our voluntary trust to Jesus, that should be all of us if we are in Christ, a voluntary trust to Jesus, it's our choice. How does that change how we do it? We knew that if we identify the everyday rhythms of life and train people to engage in them in light of the gospel with the purpose of making disciples, they would be better equipped to be disciples of Jesus anywhere and everywhere. So I want to try to do that today. I want to give you a tool this week where you can live on mission. How do you show, how do you walk out the gospel in your life? Here's a way, not the way. Here is a way you can do that. You can remember this. Just say bless. Everybody say bless. How do you spell bless? B-L-E-S-S. And so first thing, right in line with the scripture, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. We just learned that, right? Begin with prayer. But then listen. Listen to what God is doing. Listen with compassion. Be watchful, as, as it says here. Look for how God is working in your neighbors, in your family, in your kids, in your workmates, in your schoolmates, wherever that is. Listen. So begin with prayer. Listen with compassion. That's the L. The E is eat together. Listen, I love to eat. I just love to eat. It's something that we naturally do. It's a natural rhythm. I can guarantee you, you're most likely going to leave church today after I get done preaching, whenever that is. It might be long today. I don't know. You guys have to wait for it. And you're going to go and you're going to eat. We're going to eat lunch. We do this. It's a natural rhythm. So listen to what God is doing, but then invite people around the table at your home or take them out to wherever you like to go eat. I don't know what that is. Just invite some people who are far from God. Just invite them to come to the table with you. So pray. Start with prayer. Listen to what God is doing. Eat. And then the first S is serve. Find specific and intentional ways to serve those people, whoever that is. And the last S is share your story. Find ways. You don't have to, you don't have to know all of evangelism explosion to share Christ with people. You only have to know how Christ has changed your life and what difference he's made in your life. I don't have your story. You have it. All of us have, if you are in Christ, all of us have an incredible testimony. And you already have all that you need to share that story with others. So what was it? The B, begin with prayer. The L is listen. The E is S. This is the first, the E. The E is eat. The S is serve. And then the last S is share. Share your story. So we, what's it going to take? It's going to take supplication, urgent prayer. What's it going to take? It's going to take showing supremacy of Christ in our life, but we can't miss the third. In verse six, it's going to take sharing Christ. It's going to take speaking. It's going to take words. And so it says in verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I I love what Paul says here. Many times people think of sharing the gospel. It's like that they perceive that it's, it's always going to be like this. When I share Christ, it's always going to be like this, this hammer. But Paul doesn't describe it that way, does he? He says, let it be seasoned with grace. 
the way we speak and the way it should be received if we pray and we have already shown people and displayed people how Jesus is supreme in our lives, man, that falls softly and tenderly on the ears and the hearts of people who we have done the work to bless, to pray, and to show them what Christ has done in our life. You see, it says there, let your speech always be gracious, but then it says seasoned with salt. What does, Paul, what does salt do? It preserves, it gives a better flavor. Uh, we could use a, a, I don't know if you like meat, but I like steaks. A really good steak, a really good piece of meat, really only needs some salt. And I like a lot of other seasoning too. I just like pour it all in there. But if I have the money and I go and get like, and I don't do it very often, but go and get a really good steak, man, it doesn't need much at all. The, the steak speaks for, it speaks for itself, right? But we gotta be, in, gotta be intentional. The gospel and Jesus speaks for himself, but we've, gotta, we've got to use our words. We've got to speak it. We've got to share it. It's going to take sharing Christ. And the point of this verse is simple. Each person and situation is different. Your neighbor is not my neighbor. You know your neighbor. I just got new neighbors last week. I haven't met them yet, man. I need to get over there and do my job. I got to go introduce myself and be Christ to them, show Christ to them, right? I've got to be urgent about that. But, but your workmate is not the same as the next workmate. The gospel is the same. Christ is the same. But there are countless ways that we are to serve the meal. Did you hear what I just said? The gospel is the same. Christ is the same. But there are countless ways to serve that goodness of Christ to the people around us. And it's got to be uh, tailor. It's got to be tailor-made. And I love that. This is so encouraging to me in verse 6 when it says that, that how you ought to answer each, that last two words, each person, does a couple of things to me. It shows how God values all people. God values all people. They're all different. And he wants us to think about how we're to reach each person. Same gospel serving them differently, a different meal. But also says there's no cookie cutter approach. Listen, EE won't work for everybody. Events, like we host events a couple times a year. I don't know if y'all remember Ninja Warrior last year, October, we had a bunch of people, like 600 people that came to the school and they heard about Jesus. Listen, that works for some, but that's not gonna work for all. No matter what you put, fill in the blank, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work for all. The gospel invites us and gives us the responsibility to, to deliver it. Remember, we are the deliverers to take them. We are to deliver it and no, matter, no matter what. Whatever it takes, the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth the time, whatever that is, to cater it toward whoever we're trying to be intentional to share the supremacy of Christ uh, to. So it says, be ready it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Some people are going to ask some questions. They're going to ask some hard questions. You know what? You may not have the answer. And so you may have to say what I often have to say when somebody asks a really hard question. You know what? I don't know the answer to that. And that's okay. But I'm going to do some research and let me get back to you. So you may call me. Remember my cell phone number? I gave it out a few weeks ago, 936-777-0009. You'll call me and say, hey, hey, I'm really, I've got this neighbor that's asking this question, like, what's the answer? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to say the same thing. I don't know. Let me call someone. So I'm going to call Calvin. And I'm going to say, Calvin, hey, what's the answer to this question? Or whoever. Like, if I don't know the answer, I've got to be honest too, right? We've got to be honest. I think that's good. I think, I think that 
the people appreciate that is we have to be honest. But I do want to emphasize this. We don't have to have all the answers. That's not what it's saying there. Effective evangelism doesn't hinge on how good we are at it. Effective evangelism does not hinge. It does not depend on how, I, how good I am at it. It uniquely depends on how good Jesus is. This is so important. Jesus has already done the work. All we have to do is show people the difference he's made in our life and then share our story and do it naturally. People have quoted St. Francis of Assisi. It says they have misquoted him. It's not a misquote. It's just not in context. He said, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that? But the balance of that is, did you know that St. Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi, Assisi preached five sermons a day? <laughs> he was using a lot of words. He did say, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. But what he did not say is, don't use words, because he was using lots of words. We must use words. So as we think about evangelism, sharing Christ with people, as I wrap up today, man, here's the reality. It's kind of scary. I... I all of us get a little bit scared when we, when we think about like, hey, what about this family member who, by the way, are the hardest people to share Christ with, right? What about this neighbor? What about them? What if I say something wrong? What if I do something wrong? What if I, whatever, mess up? And so it's, it's scary. But, but here is the encouragement to me. As I read this passage in the context of the culture that Paul was writing it into, that, that this passage that we're reading, it should give us great hope. It should give us great hope. If we commit ourselves to supplication, if we commit ourselves as we experience Christ and make him supreme in our life, we show him to the world, and then we're honest with integrity, and we share him to the world, I believe the future is bright. I believe that if we are faithful, if we are faithful to that, God's going to do and continue to do an incredible thing here in our midst. I, I have a statement for myself because I know me a lot better than you know me that I've heard. It's, I didn't make this up. I don't know who said it first, but I just remind myself over and over that God makes straight blows from crooked sticks. I'm just a crooked stick. I don't have it all together. Listen, I'm a, I'm a mess just like you are. <laughs> I don't know how much a mess you are, but I know how much a mess I am. I'm a mess. I've not got it all together. But that's not what this says. It says that God makes straight blows from a crooked stick. Just to go and live on mission. Make Jesus the hero that he is. Pray. Show Jesus. Live it out. Walk it out in your life. And use words that are gracious and that are winsome. Speaking of Jesus as supreme. The band's going to come up. We're going to have a, a response song. So what do we do with this? What's practical? Let me give you three things that you can do right now, uh, this week. The first is this. Invite someone to hope. There are three invites. Invite someone to hope with an invite card. So we have fresh, these are fresh off the print. Literally, these were printed, I think, on Friday, y'all. So if you grab one of these, you should have been on your chair, a little invite card. Well, how do you put this into practice this week? Well, you can start by taking this card. There's more of them. We got plenty if you want to take more than one. That's fine. We're going to have them out for 
the next several weeks. Man, now is an incredible time to invite people to church. It's an easy thing to do. Take this. You got a neighbor? Take, hey, I go to Hope. God's doing a pretty cool thing. Why don't you join me? Will you join me next Sunday and just give them an invite? So first thing, invite someone to Hope with an invite card. Nice. Isn't it pretty? Got a forest right there. And they don't look that green right now because it's no rain, right? And it's hot. It's got the details on the back side of where we're at, when we meet, and they can find out more there uh, going to our website or wherever, whatever platform they go to. So the first is invite someone to Hope with an invite card. The second, may I encourage you to do this this week. Schedule sometime in, in the next few weeks. Invite someone into your home for a meal. Just do it. Just jump in. That may be scary for some. For some of you, this is normal. Some of you guys do this on a regular basis. But intentionally invite someone in your life. That could be a family member, a friend, a schoolmate, a workmate, or a neighbor. Invite them in your home and just have fellowship around a meal. Just intentionally. Just have a fun time. Invite them into your home and your meal. And then I would ask you the third invite is that's kind of a deeper level. We're going to launch, relaunch, and encourage you to sign up for the current groups. We're launching some more group, hope groups in, in the week as I believe September 17th is a Sunday. September, sun, that September 17th, that Sunday and that week, we are launching several new groups and we'll be encouraging you. There's several that we have going currently that all, all are amazing hope groups that you can go to. You can go right now into one at 11 o'clock. You can find one during the week. We'll have, looks like we'll have groups on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the week. Several options for you all around our area. You're gonna have a lot of options. And so as I encourage you to join a group, may I ask you to invite one of those people that you're inviting into your home, invite them to join your group with you. Really get connected in Jesus-centered community. So will you do that? It's our invitation today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, it truly is a privilege that you have invited us to be a part of this work, bringing hope to a hopeless world, bringing light to the darkness in this world, bringing joy to a joyless culture. God, we need your help in this. God, I pray that you would give us the burden, that you would give us the strength, you would give us the boldness this week to be faithful to this passage that we've read. In Jesus' name we pray.